We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Welcome to another history edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, a brief history of the Yankees' appearance policy. This show is brought to you by Bet Online. Even though there's currently no sports, BetOnline.ag still has things to bet on. They have hundreds of events, games, props, a live simulated Madden tournament, and an online casino open 24 hours a day. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to get your new welcome bonus. We're also brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, if you're looking to improve your performance in the bedroom, look no further than Blue Chew. Their online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Visit bluechew.com and use promo code BLUEWIRE to get your first order for free. All you pay is $5 in shipping. This is now the seventh history episode that I've done, 
And I feel like a lot of the topics are centered around or begin with George Steinbrenner. And this one is no different. When he purchased the team in 1973, by his own admission, he didn't really know much about them. Shortly after declaring that he'd be an absentee owner, he implemented an appearance policy which stated, All players, coaches, and male executives are forbidden to display any facial hair other than mustaches, except for religious reasons, and scalp hair may not be grown below the collar. Long sideburns and mutton chops are not specifically banned. I found it funny that the policy specifically talks about mutton chops, because obviously those are a relic of the 1970s, but that's when the policy was created, so it's in there. I guess guys can still rock some mutton chops. You know, I, I, I'd be down for some rally mutton chops now, to be honest with you. But at the time, the speculation, really maybe not at the time, but over time, the, the speculation has been that Steinbrenner borrowed this policy from his days with the U.S. Air Force, where other strict appearance policies exist. You know, that sort of militaristic mentality that Steinbrenner was known for. The story goes that in 1973, on opening day, when the team was out on the field, George noticed that some of the guys looked unprofessional in his opinion. They had beards and some had long hair that partially covered numbers. So what he did was, on the back of an envelope, he wrote down the jersey numbers of players that, in his opinion, looked unprofessional. After the game, he delivered the envelope to manager Ralph Hauk, who asked, what is this? And the reply was, players who need a haircut. Among the players' numbers that he wrote down, because remember, he didn't know their names at the time, were Bobby Mercer, Thurman Munson, Fritz Peterson, Sparky Lyle, and Roy White. A few years later in 1978, Steinbrenner explained to the New York Times, I have nothing against long hair per se, but I'm trying to instill a certain sense of order and discipline in a ball club because I think discipline is important in an athlete. The players can joke about it as long as they do it. If they don't do it, We'll try to find a way to accommodate them somewhere else. I want to develop pride in the players as Yankees. If we can get them to feel that way and think that way, fine. If they can't, well, we'll get rid of them. And I played this clip coming up on the episode where I talked about George Steinbrenner buying the team, but it absolutely applies here as well. I want this camp run like almost a boot camp. I want it to be strict. I don't want to see long hair. If they can't keep it neat, I have nothing against long hair, but I find it difficult to believe that a ball player can just leave it alone, can keep it neat when he's playing. I didn't know Mr. Steinbrenner at all. I'd just been traded there. And joking around, I said, our Lord Jesus Christ had long hair, and things seemed to work out for him, and didn't say a word. He says, come with me. And I walked across the street to the Fort Lauderdale swimming pool, and he says, you can walk across that water. You can wear your hair any way you want. I want them to be representative of New York. I want them to go everywhere and have everybody say, well, they're the New York Yankees. I love the Pinella part of that story. It's so funny because, like, what? how would you even respond to that? Like, okay, man, I guess I'll cut my hair. But really, the policy was a way for Steinbrenner to assert control over a clubhouse that came to be known as the Bronx Zoo. Over the years, players have pushed the envelope and rebelled, and I'll get into a few of those notable ones but into the 1990s and 2000s, it kind of gave the Yankees a reputation of being very corporate, especially when you couple it with the stoic nature that the Yankees went about winning in the 1990s and 2000s. It was, it was sort of seen as the corporate Yankees. And you know, for a long time, I thought the policy dated back before Steinbrenner because I never saw pictures of guys like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle with shaggy hair or with beards. 
And I assumed that was because of the facial hair policy. But in reality, it was because that was just the time period. The, the crew cut, clean shaven was the look in those years. And I never put two and two together, really. Obviously, I, I've known recently that the policy started with Steinbrenner. But I just find that funny that I thought it was just a Yankees thing forever. Some people cite the policy as an example that it's not fun to play for the Yankees. But I think when you're winning, people won't really talk about it. But when the team isn't very good, it's going to get noticed and it's going to get talked about. Kind of bubbled up in the 2013 to 2015 timeframe when the team was struggling and signing guys like Kevin Euclid. And you'd have multiple articles dedicated to Kevin Euclid shaving his goatee. And we're talking about a free agent that no one even really cared about. He barely even played half a season with the Yankees. And then we also had free agents in that time period, big name free agents, say they would not sign with the Yankees because of the policy. And that's just how things go. Winning shuts up a lot of critics, and when the Yankees are winning, it's not talked about as much. In 2019, New York City implemented a law to ban discrimination based on hair or hairstyle, and that it would be considered racial discrimination to do so. And some people speculated that this would lead the Yankees to finally change their policy, but it has not. The Yankees have upheld this policy even after George's death. Girardi, who also had a militaristic style, said he liked the policy. And I found an article from 2013 where Cashman talked about how he polices the policy and he said he does it in sort of a joking manner. He'll go up to someone in the clubhouse and he'll say, hey, is your rotator cuff bothering you? And when they ask why, he says, well, I didn't think you were able to get the razor up to your face, sort of telling them, hey, buddy, you need a shave. And it's interesting that Cashman is still policing the policy because he's the guy that moved on from Girardi to Boone. And a big reason was clubhouse atmosphere and and that sort of move away from a very drill sergeant leader to a more player-friendly manager in Aaron Boone. You think he'd be more open-minded to something like the hair policy, but again, it's not his decision to make. It would be up to Hal Steinbrenner now, who's you know probably concerned that his dad's going to haunt him from the grave if he gets rid of the policy. I don't want to see long hair. And contrary to popular belief, the Yankees are not the only team to ever have a policy like this. The Reds had a no facial hair policy for a long time, up until 1999, but when they acquired 50 home run hitting Greg Vaughn from the Padres prior to that season, the Reds owner finally gave up the rule that had been in place since the 1960s. Don Mattingly, ironically enough, and you'll see why in a few minutes, instituted a policy in Miami in 2015, but it was removed in 2017, and Jeter has since said that the team can have well-groomed facial hair. The Islanders hockey team their GM, Lou Lamorello, apparently has a crazy amount of rules, and one of them is that he has no facial hair policy. I don't know, I'm not a hockey guy, but I read that. And over the years, there have been a few instances of players who have tried to fight the policy, but they lose every time. I don't want to see long hair. Thurman Munson pushed the limits in the late 70s. He grew a beard before the 1977 season, but shaved it, saying he didn't want to get manager Billy Martin in trouble. And if you look at Munson's 1976 Topps baseball card, it shows him with a full beard. Munson had already been named team captain at this point, so I was surprised to learn that he pushed Steinbrenner on the issue. But I think that's one of the reasons why fans identified with Munson so much. They He was beloved amongst the fans, and this is really one of those reasons, is because he was sort of the everyman. It's pretty easy to find other players from this era who broke the rules. On a Sparky Lyle Topps card, he has hair well below his collar. And Oscar Gamble's 1979 card has a full afro. And then in 1983, Goose Gossage was ordered to remove a beard he was growing. Goose responded by shaving his cheeks and neck, but leaving the exaggerated mustache extended down his jawline. 
And it's his signature look now. He still wears that handlebar mustache to this day. And the most infamous example was Don Mattingly in 1991. But first, some background about where Mattingly and the Yankees were back then. In April 1990, he was playing in the final year of his contract, and Mattingly threatened to sign elsewhere unless he received a contract extension. Steinbrenner did not like to be strong-armed, but he acquiesced and gave Mattingly a five-year, $19.3 million deal, which made him the highest-paid player in baseball. In February of 91, Mattingly was named team captain. And then in June of 1991, Mattingly went to stick Michael and asked him for a trade because the team was not winning. Mattingly said he'd enjoy playing for a team like Minnesota because of their strong work ethic and carefree attitude. Although to me, those two things seem to contradict. And then August of 1991, we got the Battle of the Mullet. Now keep in mind Steinbrenner was banned from baseball operations during this time, so Stick is going to be doing the dirty work. Mattingly was among four players that were asked to get a haircut, along with Steve Farr, Pascal Perez, and Matt Noakes. Mattingly refused. On August 15th, he was benched and fined $250, plus an additional $100 for each succeeding day he did not get a haircut. Mattingly ended up getting a haircut the very next day, but the story blew up into a media frenzy. As you can imagine, reporters and talk radio focused on it constantly, and Phil Rizzuto, Bobby Mercer, and Tom Seaver mocked it on the WPIX pregame show with Rizzuto playing the role of a barber sent to enforce the rule. I wish I could have found footage of this, but I did not. What I did find, though, was Mattingly getting a standing ovation when he returned to the lineup. Said he needed a haircut, but after refusing and getting benched, he went back to work. John Mattingly, it's a very large ovation from the fans here, and he still has all his hair. But two days later, Mattingly agreed to a trim in what became the most talked about haircut in Major League memory. Mattingly had some pretty harsh comments throughout all this. He said if Stick wants the players to do exactly what he says, then he should be the pitching coach, batting coach, and fielding coach. Then come down here and be a part of it, but take part of the blame too. And when asked about his captaincy, Mattingly said they should take it away. It doesn't mean anything. Take it. It's been stripped. I've been impeached. He also said that maybe he doesn't belong in the organization anymore and that this might make it easier for the team to trade him since he doesn't fit in. And my favorite part of the New York Times article that I read was when Mattingly said, I felt like we weren't going the way I wanted us to. The Yankees said they had a five-year plan and I didn't have five years. Now, a few things here. First of all, Stick and the Yankees absolutely nailed their five-year plan. And the second thing is, if you're Mattingly, Why are you demanding a long-term contract in 1990 on a rebuilding team if you're going to just turn around a year later and ask for a trade because the team isn't winning? That doesn't make any sense. If you at that point in your career just want to win, then hit free agency and sign with a contender. Don't re-sign with the Yankees, a team who had the five-year plan, and then bitch about it a few months later. That, to me, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mattingly barely had five years. By 1995, his body was broken down and he was forced into retirement at age 34, unfortunately just before the Yankees really took off and and won the World Series in 96. But the, the saga got even weirder in February of 1992 when the Simpsons episode called Homer at the Bat aired. Now, I'm not a Simpsons guy. I've seen maybe five episodes in my entire life from start to finish, but here's a quick synopsis of the episode. Mr. Burns arranged for nine major leaguers, including Mattingly, to join his power plant softball team, only to see them fall victim to a series of misfortunes, making it impossible for them to play. 
Ken Griffey Jr. was one of them. He had a grotesquely swollen jaw, and Steve Sachs had a run-in with police. Mattingly was able to play, but he was benched for having sideburns that were too long. Mattingly, get rid of those sideburns. What sideburns? You heard me, hippie. Mattingly, for the last time, get rid of those sideburns. Look, Mr. Burns, I don't know what you think sideburns are, but... Don't argue with me! Just get rid of them! <gasps> Mattingly! I thought I told you to trim those sideburns! Go home! You're off the team! For good! Fine. I still like him better than Steinbrenner. The episode seemed like a parody, but it was written and taped prior to the incident, reportedly, which is pretty amazing. And you know, after reading about all this, it was definitely about more than just hair with Mattingly in this case. He just was generally unhappy playing on a 70-win team. And again, I get that, but the contract thing kind of confused me. Also, the fact that he implemented the Marlins policy 25 years later goes to show you that he never really cared about the long hair to begin with. And a quick aside, uh, I'm looking at a picture of Mattingly's mullet. And if you just Google Mattingly mullet, you'll see the one I'm talking about. He's wearing a blue batting practice jersey. And the rule says scalp hair below the collar. And this mullet is somehow not below his collar. It's like his neck is a giraffe. The thing is like 15 feet long. So technically... He didn't break the rules here. And that was certainly the most famous example of a player and a prominent player at that versus Steinbrenner and the hair policy. But uh, it's come up in other times. Before coming to the Yankees, David Wells wore a goatee and he informed the media that he would be willing to pay any fine in order to keep it. He was not true to his word, though, and he shaved it and said he chickened out because he didn't want to go face to face with Steinbrenner about it. He said it just wasn't worth it. He would occasionally pitch with a five o'clock shadow at certain points in 1997 and 1998. And we've seen Clemens and Sabathia do similar things. Clemens when he was with the Yankees and Sabathia, especially towards the end of his run with the Yanks. You could tell that the man did not shave for maybe a day or two before he went out to the mound. In April and May of 2015, the Yankees grew mustaches as a team. Brett Gardner was reportedly the ringleader of this rallying effort, but it started early in the season when the team was in Tampa and they were below 500. And at the time, Gardy had not shaved for a couple days. And as a joke, he shaved his beard into a mustache and teammates liked it. And then as the team started to play better, it caught on and we saw pretty much the entire team participate in the mustaches of 2015. I think we on this show even did an episode where we ranked the mustaches back in May of 2015. It was a big deal. It was a fun thing, I remember, when the team sort of had that bonding experience. But there have not been any cases since the Mattingly saga where a player really fights it. We've seen big-name free agents come to the Yankees and adhere to the policy. Jason Giambi and Johnny Damon are two of the most prominent. And when the Yankees acquired Andrew McCutcheon at the 2008 trade deadline, he knew he was only going to be with the team for a couple months, but he cut his dreadlocks still. Last year, Dallas Keuchel said he would have shaved and signed with the Yankees. Whether he was just leaving his options open or not, we've seen some players say otherwise, like when David Price openly criticized the Yankees for the policy and said it would prevent him from signing. Brian Wilson, who was nicknamed The Beard, said he wouldn't shave to sign with the Yankees when he was a free agent. So that brings up the topic of marketing. And if it's part of their identity, is that when they have a problem with it? I found a Daily News article from a couple years ago talking about Noah Syndergaard's hair. Yeah, it was an entire article talking about his freaking hair. I don't want to see long hair. They quoted a sports marketing expert by the name of Bob Dorfman. Guy just sounds like a sports marketing expert. Dorfman said, It boggles my mind that New York is the most sophisticated city in the world, and there's the Yankees with the most archaic hair policy in sports. 
It's definitely a challenge if you are someone who your whole image seems to be wrapped up in that hair. Now, people are going to come down on one side or the other here. They're going to either agree that the policy is outdated or think it's stupid that a player would be so wrapped up in their hair that they would refuse to cut it or that they think it would define their personal image and brand. But for some people, it does. And that brings us to Clint Frazier. You'll remember that Girardi asked Frazier to get a haircut in spring of 2017 because his hair had become a distraction. The media constantly asked about it. The reason they asked about it is because there's a policy in place and Clint Frazier was not adhering to the policy. Frazier did comply, but he said it was still a thing. Many articles were written and we talked about it on the podcast and I'm sure hours and hours were spent dedicated to the topic of Clint Frazier's hair. And the fact that we had to do that and the fact that it's a thing is annoying. It just depends why you are annoyed by it. Are you annoyed by it because the policy is outdated or are you annoyed by it because the player won't adhere to it? Very important distinction there. People always joke that when a player cuts their hair, it means they're going to sign with the Yankees. Like when Bryce Harper shaved during the 2018 season, people just speculated, oh, he's getting ready to join the Yankees. Many fans are okay with the policy and mock players like David Price who say they wouldn't sign with the Yankees. And it's easy to do that because we don't like, nor did we want David Price. But what if Garrett Cole had said something about the policy this past offseason? What if it prevents the Yankees from re-signing a homegrown player in the future because they want to grow out a beard? We all know that every ex-Yankee grows a beard immediately after leaving the team. Just go look at Austin Romine right now. The pictures of Jabba Chamberlain where he looked like a woolly mammoth a year after he left the Yankees. It's like, they finally get out of the parents' house, under the parents' roof. I'm going to rebel. I need to grow out my hair. I need to grow out my beard. It's like a I'm free sort of thing. And what would have happened if a guy like Andrew McCutcheon, who was well-established in the league and very respected refused to cut his hair back in 2018. What, what would we have said? What would we have done? I mean, dreadlocks are not the easiest thing to just grow back, but he shaved it no problem, and that's great. But it's not hard to imagine him saying, no, I don't want to go to the Yankees because I don't want to cut my hair. It begs the question, what is the policy really for? What is it about? And where's the line? Because clearly tattoos are fine. You could have arm sleeve tattoos like AJ Burnett, or if the Yankees had acquired Carl Crawford back in the day. I mean, he had a neck tattoo. That would have been fine. So the policy seems to be more about getting players to fall in line. And I do see both sides of it. On the one hand, it is dictatorial to tell someone, an employee in this case, how they can and can't look. On the other hand, it instills a sense that the team is more important than your personal brand or exposure. If it were up to me, I would get rid of the policy. I'm not saying that the way Jabba Chamberlain looked in his Detroit days is how I want every Yankees player to look, although at the end of the day, it really does not matter to winning baseball games. But I think it's archaic, and I think it's a little ridiculous that in 2020, there's an organization telling employees, telling players, telling grown-ass men how they can and cannot look. I don't think it's going away, though, because I don't think Steinbrenner current Steinbrenner is going to get rid of it as long as he owns the team really because his dad instituted it. So it would be him going against his dad. And I just don't see that. It has not been a major issue. We've had a few instances where it came up like with Clint Frazier, but for the most part, everyone shuts up about it. They fall in line. And if that's going to be the case and it prevents us from getting Brian Wilson or David Price, fine. If it does one day prevent us from getting Garrett Cole, then there's going to be a big problem. Thanks for listening.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.